Thanks to our sponsor, Ecotricity. Ecotricity is New Zealand's only carbon zero certified electricity retailer. They offset all emissions sourced from wind, hydro and solar. Find out more at ecotricity.co.nz. Hello and welcome to another exciting and slightly more hungover than usual episode of How to Save the World. I'm speaking only for myself, Tim Batts. I'm joined as always. <laughs> with Waveney. By the beautiful and sober Waveney Worth. <laughs> no hangover. <laughs> and today we've got a special guest, a friend of mine, uh, a man who I would describe hopefully correctly as a lawyer and now a Maori academic um, who's completing his PhD and mm. a topic that we will delve into in more depth, but it's in the environmental space. Mm. Uh, Ranira, thank you very much for coming on the show. Kia ora, hewa. Tēnā koe moto mihi mai kia. Tēnā koe waivini. Mm. Kia, ora. kia ora. Nice to meet you. Mm. Um, Great to have you here. Very exciting to talk to you. <laughs> Ra and I have had uh, some cool, deep chats over mm. a few beers. Last night. On mul- multiple occasions about the sorts of things um, that he thinks about and studies and deals mm-hmm. with in his community. So um, I thought it would be a cool idea to uh, get you on. I've also always, I'm very like uneducated in this, but I've always been very fascinated by indigenous methodologies and like relationships to the environment and mm-hmm. um, what mm-hmm. we can learn by listening to first peoples from all around the world. Mm. Um, mm, me too, actually. And is that is that what your PhD is focused on? My PhD is, is on a, a lot of things, but yes, that is one of the many elements. That's always featured. hard to sum up your PhD. <laughs> don't ask me. <laughs> Raniere, would you like to give, uh, do, do you want to do a little um, introduction for yourself, if you wouldn't mind, and just tell us mm. what your PhD is? Would that be a good starting point? Yeah, cool. cool. Um ora. Uh, mihi mai kia. Um, ko te uh, so I just want to acknowledge you as a person bringing me on the show, um, having me in your house. Thank you. In Te Māori, we always start with a me, so a greeting. So greetings to you, and then say who I am and where I come from. So ko rānira te no Tautoro aho. So I'm from Tautoro. It's a little Māori, rural Māori community in Northland. It's about three hours away from here. Um, it's my home. It's my tūranga waiwai. Uh, Waiwai means um, a place to stand, a place to leave, and a place to return to in the future. Totoro is my Waiwai and it is a place where my family are, it's a place where I grew up, it's a place that I left, and it's a place I've returned to recently, um, two years ago. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's returning to my Waiwai. that is essentially what the, the first section of my PhD is about is the return home the journey were you gone for quite a while yeah I left home when I was 17 for university mm. moved to Auckland it's not that far no, but same as me left home at 17 in uni Auckland from a small town in the north <laughs> we, we, uh, oh, oh, not that far north uh, Welsford Welsford yeah um, yeah came to Auckland for university studies I would always go home I visit home regularly a couple of times a year um, for final gatherings um Tangihanga, the funerals, but uh, returned home to, to live. There's a difference between living and just visiting. And so um, it was an opportunity to, to learn more. I never intended to do a PhD. It was just something that oh, propped up one day. said, do you want to do a PhD? And I thought, no, not really. Hmm. It sounds like more <laughs> study, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a great start. Uh, but... I saw it as an opportunity to learn more. I learned a bit more about myself and, and uh, saw this opportunity to deep dive into something that I'm interested in. And uh, I'm interested in history. History is something that I'm really interested in. And so I, I thought, well, what skills that I have to offer? I can write, I can read, I can research. Uh, I know aspects of the law. Uh, so we went home, went home to Totoro and started talking amongst my community, finding out what issues were pressing to them and there are a myriad of issues in Northland in, in, in this Māori community where I come from one of them was water the importance of water importance of ancestral landscapes so it took a while to f- figure out what it actually was and I'm sure a lot of other PhD students have this conundrum got this, this three years of study and I have an opportunity to do something great and, and uh, what is it going to be about I, I had a general idea about what I wanted to do, um, 
the, I guess just start with the title, and that was also a, a bit of a journey, just to giving it a label. And I didn't want to label it too early because I didn't want it to um, stifle the the evolution of it. But um, I finally figured out what a title is, and, and the title of my PhD is Inayane Imua Amuriake. Now, then, next, Fakapapa on ancestral landscapes in Totoro Te Taitokiro. Mm. It's a very narrow um, uh, um, title. Uh, at the end, at least, it's I put the home community, the name of the community, because mm. that's where I'm conducting the research. That's where it's from, where I'm from. Um, but so Inayane is Māori for now. So I'm, I'm here now, and Imua is then. So I'm looking using the present lens to look back at where we were as a community, and then looking forward, where can we go? Mm. And I say ancestral landscapes, and when I say ancestral landscapes, I mean the physical landscape, and included in that is water. It's it's one entity. Ancestral landscape is inclusive water. It's land and water, and that that broad statement allows me to talk about a whole lot of things. I look firstly at pre-colonization history on the activities that uh, were conducted on on the landscape prior to colonization, pre seventeen seventy six. What were our people up to back then? What was what was going on on the landscape? How are they utilizing their resources? How are they interacting? Um, what have you found out? This yeah, one, I'm really interested to hear some specifics on this because we chatted off Mike about your methodology a little bit where you're basically just having informal kōrero with hmm. people in your community um, often over quite uh, sort of big long extended chats and it might be useful to touch on the concept of um, the sort of the Māori way of uh, looking at guardianship of natural resources hmm. and how that's a bit different from the sort of Pākehā philosophy mm. of owning stuff mm. it goes back to, to the beginning um, and this is, this is probably the start of my chapter it's looking at the underlying Māori philosophy of of interconnectedness and uh, it stems from the Māori worldview of creation at some point in the distant, just very distant past uh, there was nothing it's called te kore. Te kore means the nothingness. And um, from that darkness that nothing came light, te marama. And so that te light came into the universe through what Māori call um, the sneeze of life, tihei mauri ora. Gosh, so, is that what that means? Tihei mauri ora. Can it be um, mm. translated as that, the sneeze? The sneeze, yeah. Huh. So when someone sneezes... A Māori person will say to the person who's just sneezed, "Tihei Māori ora." It's um, yeah, huh. <laughs> the sneeze of life. Cool. So there's this belief uh, that the world was came into being, the universe came into being from from nothing, sneeze into into into. It's, it's, a kind, it's, it's a kind of to, big bang, it's right? It's kind of big it's bang. Like, boom. It is, and so from nothing, there was this period of time where. Um, stuff began to happen um, energy was created from this the sneeze and f- within this space um, Rangi it wasn't called Rangi at the time but Rangi and Papatunuku there was this formation of of land and, and, and sky there was darkness and then through act of this copulation I guess there was a production of smaller entities or beings and Rangi being the male element and Papa, Papa being the female element they produced children in this dark void and they became weary they wanted to be in the light they wanted to feel warmth and so one of the offspring of Rangi and Papa Tane Tane you never heard Tane Mahuta mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. In the forest up north, he's this embodiment of, mm. of the because he's such a big, strong, tall tree. He forced the heavens and the earth apart, and then well, light came into the world. And these offspring of Rangi and Papa populated the world essentially and created the the lands and the oceans. All that, it's a very complicated story. I'm not doing <laughs> it justice to it, but uh, because there there are books written on this, and um, I'm not as I said before, I'm not doing justice to it. But 
in a nutshell, we are, as humans, offspring of that union. Mm, part, of it. part of it. Part of that, it. That creation mm. story. So we, we all come from this, this entity of a Papa Tunica. We live on Papa, the Earth Mother, and we derive sustenance from her, from the soils and from, from the water, the way. Um, the way is seen as a product of the, the tears of Rangi. So the sky, the, the water falling from the sky is considered the tears of Rangi because of the separation. And so they're all one thing. The, the sky, the, they all come from the same beginning. Right. Ah, oh, like water is the kind of the linking. The linking element you, between. Yeah. The, the link between the sky. Almost the everything earth. else you could say, oh, that one belongs to this, mm, that one mm. belongs to that. And, and so huh, when yeah. you, you, you see the sky connected to the to the earth and then water binds the two and you as a human, you imbibe the water, you, you, it's, they're all connected. The, the linking element is water. And in the water there is something we call Modi. Have you heard of it? I mentioned it earlier in Tihei Modi mm-hmm. order. Modi is what is Modi? Modi is the life essence. It's um, it's the word to describe essence, the, the Modi of something, the energy of something. In a nutshell, it could be something akin to the Force, maybe the Force and in uh, Star Wars. In Star Wars, it's probably when I say Modi, some people are like, oh, you mean the Force? I'm like, yeah, do that's gotcha. essentially what it is. Well, yeah. George Lucas, but it's all stuff, right? Not just. Trees and animals. It's, everything, could has be rocks and, everything has a mm, modi. Everything has a modi. Naturally things. occurring things. What about a house? It has its own modi as mm, well because mm. you you instill an energy in it. Mm. You, you, you can you can feel it when in a house you go to a house and and you feel something's not right or you 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 enter a door and, and there's a, a funny feeling you get that maybe the modi's off. Um, you go into when you, when you go into a, like a cemetery for example you can feel there's a it's a different type of energy. There's different energies and different things. Mm. Um, but taking it back to, to Star Wars and the Force, don't quote me on this, but I believe George Lucas borrowed that idea from from the Chinese concept of qi. True. Which is very similar thinking to, to Modi that everything is an, an energy or a life force and that it's a balance of that energy. And, I, and I'm, I'm not quite sure, but maybe the, I don't know if anyone's written on this, but there's a, possibility that because Māori uh, or their ancestors, the Polynesian ancestors from their migratory patterns from say Southeast Asia or China took that thinking of qi or innate in all things um, and brought it with them on their journey throughout the Pacific because Māori is also a, a, a thing in in Eastern Polynesia, Hawaii and many of the other islands and it came to New Zealand this thinking that there is a, a modi in everything, an energy, and uh, something to be respected, mm. to be cared for. To uh, modi is something that can be depleted, mm. um, so but never destroyed. Right, you can't destroy. So it's sort of eternal, but it, you can kind of lessen the, can, the the sort of goodness the, of the, it, the, the yeah. strengths, mm. positive strengths of it. Positive strength of it. Yeah. What I'm looking at in my PhD thesis is. Uh, and again it comes back to water is I've been asking our komato, our queer through kōrero through kōrero sessions, kōrero is talk, dialogue, it's very human, it's it's have a cup of tea, have a um, have a kai before after, during and just, just talk and uh, so we have kōrero I ask, I ask questions um, they never really get asked, uh, answered directly. Those go around and around and around. But in it, you'll get gems, uh, and you'll you'll hear something about this particular point in the landscape, or or this particular historical act um, involving ancestors. And you're like, well, how does that how's that relevant to what I'm trying to achieve? But you you you, you listen to it, you take it, and then you you review it later, and then you're like, oh yeah, okay, now I see, I I. I see how that's relevant in, in relation to a whole lot of other things. And so in corridor with my komato and queer, komato is elderly aged male and queer is female, elderly female, who have lived lives and have got experience, but they may not have you know, the academic um, degree, for example. It's 
talking going back to what you were talking about last night, they didn't they don't have that education, formal education, but uh, wise. Mm. Live the live long lives on the landscape, live long lives gardening, walking and talking and um, just for the most part being one with the land. And so accessing the stories that they have of the landscape that were passed on to them from their Kaumata queer. And so when I talk to them I'm actually accessing um, stories and knowledge from several several generations that may not have been written but have been kept in the memory but their memory banks and and part of my research is well an offshoot of the research is to try and capture those stories before they disappear because they are the last generation of the 70 to 80 year olds they are the last generation that really lived with the land really lived on the land I remember when I was a child, before I left home at 17, even yeah, even in my teenage years, the land around us was surrounded by gardens, gardens upon gardens, acres and acres of gardens full of potatoes, riwai, peru peru, kumura, taro, corn. And, mm, wow. And uh, they were living locally, living off the land. Uh, and I remember being a child going out and and being amongst my community elders kneeling down and picking the potatoes out of the ground out of the soil and and uh, where was I going with that <laughs> <laughs> well it's been interrupted like yeah, yeah that's yeah, a because it's sort of what we were talking about last night over the fire over a couple of beers was mm. that that um, disconnection that we've experienced now between people and the land has you know Ra and I are kind of on the same page and Waveney I suspect you are as well we reckon is probably to blame for a lot of sort of social ills yeah, that have happened. There's yeah, a lot definitely of on that page. kind of weird, mm. um, unexpected offshoots that being disconnected from your food and your land, yeah. which I think, like, it seems to me that in Māoridom there's a implicit importance in that. Like, it's, it's, it's very known how important that is, the connection mm. with the land. And I think for, um, you know, being a, a European person who's in New Zealand it's like it's a less it's less recognized that importance mm. and maybe it is because this is um, a recent land you know mm. of my family generationally so that connection mm. isn't there mm. um, but it feels like in most with most first peoples around the world that is so part of the culture is like you, you have to look after the land the land has to look after you the land's mm. everything yeah and and we've interrupted that flow. So even within your mm. like, it's crazy that within your lifetime, as a dude in his early thirties, mm. you've kind of been able to see this change I've, yeah, I've in your it. community. It's not as though they weren't uh, farming the land in a in a, in a in like a commercial commercial sense, sense that yeah. they were doing that because that was something that uh, needed to happen. Um, it was part of at least in my home community. And the gardening and why people aren't gardening anymore. Mm. I'm fascinated to know that. Like, I understand that there's lots of complicated things that have been going on in the last 20 years, but mm. in your community, in a really tangible, finite sense, and the people that you know, why mm. do you think people have stopped gardening? People are still gardening now. Oh. Um, the, the older, the okay. older ah, older that ones, that generation, one, yeah, the but older, the younger generation coming through. The, why? There, there, there is a is a big effort within my community to try and get the younger the rangatahi the youth involved in learning how to produce food um, connecting with the soil in a, in a physical and, and spiritual way knowing that and that that means knowing the history to, to give value to understand the value of today you've got to look at how it was valued and looked after uh, in the past and so when Komata Kuyar uh, saying stories about the landscape this happened here at this particular site this spring of water this person did this here in the past and well this the name of this spring is temata because temata means the reflection you could see yourself in the water or maybe you used to be able to well that's the beauty of it um if you can't see your reflection in the water because there's no water there, something's gone wrong. Right. And through that oral, mm. the storytelling, the storytelling and the transfer it, it, of the history and the information. And, and putting it into the young ones who, 
at a young age are really interested for the most part are really interested in in stories and uh, um, tales and great deeds of past ancestors obviously Kaumata and Gwia our elders have a lot to to compete with because there's so many distractions within society today there's Mm. the phones luckily where we are there's no um, cell phone reception going back to say the 1950s when the mass urbanization mass migration of Māori to cities um, which left a lot of the home communities their tūranga wāiwi vacant or, or the lands were the concept in, in Māori is ahi ka so ahi is obviously fire ka is to, to light is to spark is to glow so the concept of ahi ka is um, to keep the home home fires burning mm. it symbolises the campfires that were outside and outside in front of the settlements um, which signalled to others that the land was being utilised the land was being um, looked after all the resources were being utilised by the people of that settlement and so when in the 1950s when uh, uh, mass urbanisation became a thing through whatever reasons what was going on in the 1950s of a big yeah, post-World War II requirement of jobs the job creations going on the cities Māori were moving um, towards those areas and a lot of them grew up away from their home communities and left this vacuum of of no people to attend to the ahika to keep the fires stoked and that's an issue that a lot of Māori rural communities are facing today um, it's happening It's happening within our community that there's there's not many young people living there now. There, there are, there are a few, but there's, there's not enough. There could be more. But in recent years, we've seen more people moving back because they can't afford to live in Auckland. It's right. Like Anti migration away from the city centres. Could you explicitly, just because I don't know if we've sort of mentioned it or defined it really, but when you talk about the difference between the um, the sort of modern Western way of looking at the world, and particularly with regard to resources. Versus the difference of the Maori perspective, hmm. like what is the Maori perspective? Land, water, they are the same, same entity. They're not separated, and so they should be, they'd be cared for, just like you would care for your mother. If Papa Tuanuku, i.e., Earth Mother, which this type of thinking has similarities between other uh, indigenous and, and non-indigenous cultures in the world, look, Gaia is an example. Which uh, I think that comes from Greece, um, Pachamama in, in South America. Um, this thinking that the Earth, the Fenua, the Papa Tuanuku is our mother, and we should care for her as she is caring for us. It is a a give and take relationship, um, which is embodied in the concept of kaitiakitanga. Um, uh, to be a kaitiaki is to be a, a steward of the land. So it's being a steward, you have stewardship responsibilities. There is a responsibility to look after the land in which you live in, um, which is your immediate, uh, the term I use is marae catchment. So in every Māori community, there will be a marae or several marae, and the, those marae relate to a specific family grouping or in a hapu a wider family grouping so several families who are genealogically whakapapa connected um, so they have the responsibilities within their local rohe their rohe is a territory to ensure that they are doing the best for papa tuanuku for, for, for the earth and that means um well, they've spent so much time with the land they understand the fluctuations the changes because you're in amongst it mm. you're, you're living it you're touching it you're working with it you're you're eating from it so you've got this as you have a relationship a, a physical and a tangible quite a heightened sense uh, when things are changing and what mm, that means mm. and if something tastes like this there's too much of this in well, the soil or something the, like that the, the test is the modi of it is and the best way to do it is looking at the state of of a, of a spring or a river and you can tell when a river is, is sad or the modi has been depleted to to say i don't know on a scale of one to ten a one uh, or it's a code red um, for example 
and you you what what Maori would look for in a, in in trying to gauge the modi of a river would be the sight, the physical appearance of it, the smell. What are the local fish in in, in the river? What are they doing? Are they are they present? What are, what is this little ecosystem? How is it? What is its state? So they have modi is the tester the means to test it and with um, each of these um marae catchments as you were saying like it's their responsibility to ensure that that maori is mm, is that, kept mm. sort of pristine or kept um kept strong yes in their patch in their patch and they do that in their own little ways but it's been made hard by the changes on the landscape the change of uh the ownership of land the compartmentalizing of land blocks, the delineation of land, uh, the, yeah, the segmenting of land so that people start owning little bits and pieces here and here and here. Um, you just look at a map and see how segmented everything becomes on this map. Uh, just like with the Totoro, for example, we've, it was all one landscape. There was no, there were boundaries between groups that lived on the landscape. But those boundaries were fluid, right. and within those boundaries there would be uh, relationships, communication as to, okay, there's your boundary. If you, um, if you cross that boundary, just come and talk to us first. Right. It's about dialogue. Kōrero, sitting down. Obviously, the quarter sometimes broke down and battles occurred. Fighting over resources, yes, that happened. Um, but it wasn't in the same way how we think about it now, where it's like this, mm, this, this, this exact line yes, here on this is map, mine, and this is yours. This, yes. Plus, I guess um, there was some shared values there anyway. Like different mm. hapu probably mm. were looking after the water in a similar way to each other. Yeah, they mm. probably had a shared, yeah, like a, a sort of singular goal of ensuring that mm. the, your environment was being looked after. And that goal of insurement was for future generations Ngāori Whakatupu the future generations it's always thinking intergenerationally looking forward and thinking well what am I doing today and how are my actions today going to influence the situation for my offspring mm. This episode is brought to you by Ecotricity New Zealand's only power company that's 100% renewable and carbon zero certified it's Ecotricity's mission to provide Kiwi homes and businesses with 100% pure renewable power. By choosing Ecotricity, you're supporting the development of new renewable energy and proving New Zealand's economy can grow without costing the earth. Find out more and sign up at ecotricity.co.nz. So go, looking forward, hmm. have you, through your research or through your corridor, discovered some wins, some, some anything that um, is working for you guys, or you feel has potential. Anything that could, anything that's even kind of universally applicable that could work mm. for other communities. Mm. That's a good question. If you want to boil it down, it's about forming relationships, people to people links, crossing that uh, cross cultural divide through breaking down that line, those delineations on the map, and realizing that we're all. Kind of connected. We're all They're kind the of same. made up. <laughs> Those lines are all on the real. same landscape, and it's all one entity. And so, you've got this regional councils. They have under under the law, they have responsibilities to care for the environment and care for their their territory. In our community, um, especially well, for a lot of people, um, councils are relevant. Council is some entity in Whangarei or some entity in Wellington that has no understanding of what's going on in Totoro. Um, so a lot of our people are taking, oh, they've actually always had this thinking of, of caring for their own patch. Um, irrespective of what rules and regulations the government's passed and it's inherent in the thinking of mana the authority over the local resources of the land and uh, that authority comes from just being a steward right now it's about trying to educate our Pākehā colleagues who are in roles of responsibility in, in, in council to say hey this is how we see things here this is how we've been doing it for X amount of years we would like to have quarter with you and uh, try and find a way forward uh, what can we learn from each other 
yeah, it comes back to dialogue and having a relationship. There's such a big disconnect between sort of local rural communities, Māori communities and council. Uh, it's trying to f- bridge that gap and that takes people who uh, who understand what's going on in the community and have the ability to speak the language of both sides. It's all about finding commonality. Okay, all people, most people care about the environment, their immediate environment. We'd probably agree on that, I think. Yeah. We care about our families. We care about our, our future families, however small or big they may be. Māori have a bigger family because we're all related. Um, and so there's probably a difference there mm. in terms of the magnitude of, of, of care. Mm. But so it comes back to educating our our our, our colleagues, our, our, our people in, in, say, local government, saying this is how we feel about the landscape, this is what we, we value. Have you thought about this? I can give you an example. A lot of um, council interactions, especially when resource consent applications go through, for example, and an issue arises where there needs to be some some um, hapu engagement or whānau engagement or iwi engagement on an issue, um, say water take, for example, or, or resource consent to take water. If it goes to not a litigious stage, a litigation stage, but a, a meeting has to occur between the parties, it always is held in council mm. chambers. Mm. It's it's away from the land in which you're actually talking about. And I can give you an example. It goes back to the, the ex, how expensive it is to live in Auckland. There's mass migration going north and south. Um, Northland's recently become the avocado capital of, of New Zealand. Um, great growing conditions, excellent soil, water, not at the right time. It's very, very. It's prone to fluctuations and um, seasonal availability of water. But there is a lot of water up there, and the right climate to, to grow things like avocados. And avocados have all of a sudden become a, a trending food. I guess a health food. A lot of farmers are now selling their lands to horticulture farmers who are now planting, planting, planting avocados and, and kiwi fruit. And places like Totoro have availability of land, of good soil, of, of relatively cheap land. And that's such a bad word to use, cheap. But inexpensive land from, from the perspective of a buyer. And some of these lands w- would have been historically uh, hapu lands, hapu landscapes, hapu tribal estates through the crown title purchasing process have been sold. or It's a very, very complex issue, but to break it down, a lot of landscapes, particularly in the 1920s onwards, would have required mortgages to develop their lands. Some land blocks within our community were, the, the local Māori were unable to service their mortgages, so the banks, or well, not even the banks, the government who were in charge of the funds would foreclose on those um, mortgages. Oh, wow, and I didn't know that. Fano would lose their lands. So the government was acting as the bank and then yeah, foreclosing the, on people? Foreclosing on Final members who were trying to pay the mortgage, but some lands were hard to work, or they were they were just not yet skilled enough to be good farmers. In this new in, system. in this new system of dairy, uh, of milking cows and producing butter, and, and all the finance uh, systems. This, that this whole money that. thing. Yeah, still trying to get their head around it. Um, Man, that's you know people wouldn't have had any idea. I imagine no. when they took out a mortgage that that could have been their ancestral lands that were on the table. Some some were obviously. I'm not saying that certain farmer were not complicit in the sale of their lands. The sale of lands did occur for various personal reasons, and a lot of land was sold that way. But there are instances that I that I know of in our community, and I'm certain that it's happened elsewhere in the country, where those uh, landscapes were lost. And and uh, are now moved into non Maori ownership, and are now coming up for for sale. And and by right uh, under our current legal system, that is fine. Once you've got that title to land, that piece of paper that says you own this little section of land on the map, mm-hmm. that's yours to do what you want with it. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, it's conceptually it's a difficult it's thing. It's a difficult thing to, to process. We've we've obviously. Uh, Climatized, become accustomed to it. We all, I have, my family has lands that are a part of that system. That's just how land is seen and, and changed hands. Um, but within our community, one 
large section of land was purchased in 2016 by a company, and I won't say any names, but um, to, to turn it into from a dairy farm into um, an avocado orchard. Invested a significant amount of money into it, and involvement of the local community in this plan, this purchase of the land, it did occur. It was minimal um, in the sense that the company came in and were like, well, we're legally advised. It's good practice to talk to the locals to say, hey, this is what we, we want to do. We've bought this land. This is our intention. We're going to need X amount of water for X amount of years to get this crop. We'll, and this is, this is the clincher, we'll, we'll give you jobs and mm. we'll... Um, We'll give you, a, we'll give give a scholarship to any young um, community members who want to learn about horticulture, and those are good things. It's mm. not to say that they're, they're not good things. They are. Jobs but, is such a generic thing to say mm. because you can. There's other models where you could get mm. more jobs. Mm. Um, so just because you might create some jobs doesn't mm. mean that it's um, mm. that they're good. Yeah, mm. that, well, that it's the best scenario that we could mm. have had. But anyway, yeah. Uh, and, you're right, and one of the aspects of my PhD is to look at the, the definition of consultation because under the under the current laws, under the RMA, it's, it's considered best practice to consult with local stakeholders, which in most cases, it's not always Māori, but in this case it is Māori because it's a rural Māori community. Mm. But what what is what constitutes consultation? Great question. Uh, and uh, best practice uh, also but, doesn't <laughs> seem like legally binding, is it? It's, um, it's like mm, this is the ideal model. Yes, this is the gold standard of doing it. No one like, it's I, not to the letter of the law. I can right? imagine companies to. don't like doing it. And I've, I've heard through through owners of companies who, who are involved in this, they don't like doing it because oh, it costs money. It costs time, energy, money. And they have shareholders to consider. Um, and it, it will come back to money. Um, just specifically on that, it, it, was the community um, cognizant of the fact that because I know avocado trees are super thirsty mm. and did they know that this was going to put a real um, you know restraint on the water mm. supply that was there to use all of that mm. for, for an avocado orchard um, the this is the thing at these local meetings between company and the community and they, they, I acknowledge the fact that they came to the marae. They, they actively sought out local community members. Um, they got in touch with the council. They got in touch with the local iwi, um, saying, hey, we, this is our, our project, and I, I commend them for that. That's the right thing to do. That is, we're getting there. Mm. We're getting closer to this this thing of of, of uh, a partnership or co, co-government or co-management or, or this thinking of... of you and I, we're not not there yet, as as, I, as my research is showing, but we, we are on the path. So this consultation occurred on Almarai. It wasn't well attended. There weren't two, maybe 17 people there from a community that may have 300 people living in it, but the, the whakapapa connections to this community are number in the thousands. They don't live in the community, but they... Their hearts are still there. That is their Turanga Waiwai. And so they weren't present at this meeting. And so when this meeting occurred, um, the proposals were voiced, slideshows, scientific data, all the stuff that no one really understood was put out there. And uh, as I said, hey, this is what we're doing. And I think there was a no... um, opportunity to reply in any other in any it's almost as the decision was already made hey hey guys this is what we're doing we bought this land this is what we're doing and thank you for your time yeah right Um, we'll hear your stories about your attachment to land and and stuff like that but it's almost like a tick of the box and it is a tick of the box exercise Um, and it's not until later two years later where everyone's feeling oh hang on how much what do you need 2.5 million litres a day for 35 years is that um, is that uh, is that a lot of water is that cool uh, when, and and when you think about it well 2.5 million litres I'll say an Olympic sized swimming pool per day for 35 years obviously that's not what they would be taking every day because the natural seasonal influence of rain they don't need to take water they need to um, pump water from the ground 
But um, that's what the consent uh, yeah, the, the received was for. They haven't received it. It's still oh, in, in, in um, the process because we as a community have come together and said, hey, actually, is this the type of activity we want to happen in our community? Okay, we understand that we cannot stop people doing what they want to do with their land. We're not about that. We, we're not naive to the fact that law, a land title system, allows people to do what they want with the land. To a degree, but yeah, with water, mm. there, there are some constraints around that, aren't they? You, there are. you need a permit, yes, to yes. take. Yes, and there large will be um, flow management systems put in place. Uh, but what we it goes back to how um, how the community conceives the landscape or sees their landscape, and for us, we view ourselves as living downstream from from our water source. We literally do live downstream from the river, but from a, a traditional local perspective, there is this large volcano in our in our community. It's called Totoro, it's actually the name of the community. It's called Totoro. And um, there's this large volcanic lake at the top. It's very technical um, how that landscape was formed and I won't go into that right now because I'm not a geologist but um, it's I should show you a photo but anyway there's a um, it'll be lost on the list <laughs> yeah there's a beautiful lake at the top of this flat coned scoria hill and in this lake there's an island a little island the lake's called Kiridu it was called Kiridu because of in the past the uh, prevalence of Kiridu bird there and that was the spot to go for Kiriru and the significance of this water source because it was so high it's so elevated this is it's a 10 hectare lake it's I think it's the third largest open water source in the Kaikoua ecological district so within the center of the North Island Northland in the Kaikoua district there's this lake there I think the, the, the largest is Lake Omaipere I don't know if you guys have Lake Omaipere it's the largest lake in Northland and, and then there's Lake Ofariti, and then there's Lake Kiriru. And so this lake is high eleva- highly elevated in the landscape. And uh, because of its high elevation, clouds swirl around the top of, of Totoro, and rain is produced there, and precipitation happens, and it falls into the lake. And within the lake, there is this, um, as I said, an island in the middle, but in it is an, an ana. An ana is, is a cave. It's a cave system. And because of the, the volcanic activity, there was obviously um, pockets of air and gas that created this vent down into the crater of the, the volcano, and like a like an inverted mausoleum, I guess the Maori traditionally would sail there, um, the the dead chiefs, and inter them in this ana, but. The fact that the lake was so high and there's this this ana, um, the water would kind of seep its way through this this subterranean uh, passage of of, of of a cave system essentially that would the water would fall through out into the landscape would proliferate throughout the landscape and it would appear in the local springs which were below the lake and so because the lake is so high we believe that we live downstream from our water source mm. and it just so happens that this land block that's been purchased is between the community and the lake source mm. and so interesting so the the act of drilling into the ground to access the aquifer which we see as the heart of our of our community the, the underneath the heart is like the heart of Papatuanuku essentially water falls from the sky it falls into the to the lake it then swirls its way down like a vortex throughout the landscape and then comes out um debouches from 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 the whenua from the landscape to then be engaged with physically and uh, for, for nutritional and spiritual benefit by drinking the water so the act of drilling down to the ground and extracting water out from the land from the aquifer it's almost like a seen as a, an interruption of the flow of water the flow of modi from our water source because when to you us. say that you guys are living downstream of the water that is literally true but i imagine 
it mm. sort of speaks to a bigger idea of, mm. of the, how you think about that water mm. that it's mm. sort of you know mm. you are you are sort of below it yes you know you yeah, need yeah, to exactly. respect this yes thing mm. and then there's been this operation mm. that's put itself in between the people and the water mm. effectively effectively and and it's not to say that their activities will deplete the modi because obviously they're aware that oh hey we're going to do this activity we need x amount of water for this amount of years um but it's just just getting that that thinking into their minds mm. like hey there's this other there's this people here who believe this way who think of their environment in this particular way who value it in this way how can we fit in with this thinking and i don't think that that's what's occurring it's like we've we've got the right to do this we've got we've paid the money to to do this we've got the 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 law that allows us to do this and we've got the science to say that and this is the the clincher science in in a western sense suggests that there is no connection between this this lake and the the natural springs that are around it in our landscape we've got three important springs in the community and one of them just sits below not far from where this um, avocado orchard is situated and where where the community is adamant that there is a connection mm. in a holistic sense there's a connection everything is connected but there's also a, a potentially a physical connection uh, we can't prove it uh, but but we believe it mm. and and this cultural belief influences the value of, of the water and the landscape so it's just trying to get this what's way of seeing things into the minds of people who mm. are conducting those types of activities and, and potentially getting councils on side to start thinking along these lines as well yeah it's um, almost like oh, sorry don't carry on. um how it's it's each person's um responsibility to be on a journey mm. to connect as there's this there's a real opportunity here for people it's we've, we've on the one hand we've got you know this huge percentage of new zealanders that that are now saying we care about sustainability mm. and we want to see things done differently and we don't want this future for our children it will be those same people that mm. you would be dealing with mm. and so there's that opportunity for all of these people that are on the one hand able to say with one part of the brain look we really care about this issue but on the other hand haven't made some connections and i think that's the journey and that's part of what i think we're really keen to communicate eh, Tim, is that these these there it's the if if we just look at uh one thing and you drill it right down to the basic like say this company saying um oh we want water we've done some studies everything looks like it's okay Mm. Um, and so they've drilled it right down to sort of one little narrow problem with one little yeah they've compartmentalised it Mm. and when we just because that's really cultural and um, Mm. there's huge like you were saying um, momentum of history behind Mm. that way of thinking Mm. and that's the challenge for our generation to to work out how we can put the brakes on that thinking and connect mm. that because it's the same it's the same people and it's the same hearts and minds that have already said yes we want to do something about this and yes we mm. care but just haven't yet or perhaps are in the process of making those connections and it's also interesting that as the science advances um, like we did an episode with Dr. Mike Joy who's one oh, of the foremost experts on yeah, sort of, yeah well you, you know good. water ecology was he on the show? Water health. yeah yeah, yeah. Wow. did an episode with him cool. and it seems like the science is catching up with these That's, ideas they, which yes, yeah. a, a lot of cultures have known for ages intrinsically um, because they've, yeah. they've had to coexist with the environment and have been sort of at the behest of the environment. Like if you don't respect it, you mm. get wiped out. Mm. Um, and now the science is kind of going, oh, um, it turns out there is effectively a life force in the water because there's all these, these like the things incredibly connected microorganisms and all of these biospheres sort of within the water that interconnect mm. in a few you know overfish or you do something that's going to um disrupt the algae or or create a bloom or something mm. it kills everything yeah which is sort mm. of an just another way of looking at the things that you're talking about i mm. feel like mm. with maori it's mm. like that that science is sort of catching up to put a different frame mm. 
on what a lot of people have known mm. like your people have known mm. for ages mm. yeah, would you agree with that i would agree with that yeah mm. we we might need to um wrap up because we've got another episode that we need to tape mm. um but if if i'll give you an opportunity to if if you feel like there's anything important um that you want to add Ra, while you're here but while you have a think I'd just like to thank you for coming on and sharing all of this information, particularly because I know that you've um, you're working so hard at the moment to gather this information mm. um, on behalf of the people in your area, and I know that um, the sharing of information as well is is a very sacred thing. So I, mm. I appreciate that you've like trusted us to come on and mm. and and share these things because mm. as you've been speaking about, um, you know. In multiple different junctures i think that that caught it on mm. us to be able to come together and figure out where the commonalities are like that's going to be the thing that gets us mm. out of the shit mm. <laughs> with mm. with a lot of these issues that mm. we talk about on this um podcast mm. with the environmental damage that's happened mm. um i think if we can just start yeah really like actually listening to each other mm. and recently the resurgence of te reo maori and the <clears throat> re-importance of the culture coming back alongside that the concept of is it um kaitiaki kaitiaki is that the concept of like custodianship over stewardship would be a stewardship right apt way of putting it when you think of being a steward you're 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 a caretaker and it's less about control and authority it's more about defining the relationship with people and your your natural environment and not in the context of winners and losers if the environment loses, we lose. Yeah. So hey, let's let's all win together. Yes, yeah, so Well, thank you for 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 having me on. I'm sorry, there was a few blank spaces there. Not at all. <laughs> We've had a big night. Thank you for joining us again for this episode, and share it with your friends, please. Thank you to all the people who have left reviews for us. Yeah. On iTunes, so appreciate that. And you should join us on Facebook as well. Uh, Facebook.com slash how to save the world. Because we're so prolific on Facebook, aren't we, Tim? We're getting better. <laughs> yeah. In all aspects of life, we are we're improving. We are flawed people trying to do our best. That's great. <laughs> but we will catch you in the next episode. And until then, Kakitiano. Thanks again to our sponsor, Ecotricity. New Zealand's only provider of 100% renewable and carbon zero certified electricity. Find out how to switch your home or business at ecotricity.co.nz.